Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today, we look at the story of Jesus' temptation as he's led by the Spirit out into the desert. Where you and I would easily be overcome by the devil's deceit, Jesus counters his best shots by quoting scripture and resisting the temptation to leave God's purpose and plan. Thanks for joining us today as we look together towards how we can better identify the evil one's lies and ground our resistance in God's word. Well, good morning. Uh, This past week, I uh, read in the news that over in the country of Japan, they had a scare. Uh, They actually had to turn on their emergency broadcast system and put the word out. I don't know if you saw this in uh, the news at all. It wasn't in the headlines. It was tucked away a little bit. But uh, there's a certain fish that uh, they serve over in Japan called a puffer fish. Have you guys heard of a puffer fish? Puffer fish actually has a a toxin in its organs that will uh, kill you faster than just about any other uh, uh, crafted or man-made molecule or toxin. Uh, It's extremely dangerous, it's extremely deadly, and still there are some who think that this exotic fish is something that they want to consume. I can't quite understand why that would be, but chefs have to be licensed, they have to be trained, skilled enough to be able to serve it. Here's the problem, Uh, it wasn't served at a restaurant, they let it go at the supermarket. And there were folks who were buying this fish that was not prepared properly, taking home with them something that will destroy them. In fact, one puffer fish could kill 30 full-size adults just with the poison in it. Uh, It's very deadly. In fact, I printed off the article. It says that it begins with numbness and a sensation and tingling of the lips and the tongue, followed by your facial extremities and paralysis and numbness and a headache and the sensation of lighting or floating and profuse sweating and dizziness, nausea and vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, difficulty moving, weakness, Speech difficulties, and that's just the first stage. Just for sake of time, I'm not going to read the rest, but it ends in death. And it can happen within 20 minutes. So they, they put it out on the emergency broadcast. And um, fortunately, I heard they found three of the five packages, but two were still left unaccounted for. The, re- the reason why this stood out to me wasn't so much because of the deadliness, although that was that which precipitated the need The thing that really uh, impressed me was the response. It was the response to something that might kill you. It might kill you. And so you don't sit back and say, well, they'll be fine. They'll walk it off, right? They'll be fine. Just tough it out, right? That's not the case at all. When the danger for something that might cost you your life shows up, the response is all out information. We got to save our people. We got to save our people. The puffer fish uh, and those who like to consume it, I feel, especially in this instance, might think they're biting into a carp, might think they're biting into a grouper, maybe mahi-mahi, but instead they're deceived. In fact, it could kill them. I'm entitling this message, The Agony of Deceit. And as we continue in Luke's Gospel, we enter the, the, the portion where Luke now records for us the temptations of Jesus. My hope is that as we look at it, we will begin to examine the danger as we see it presented to Jesus as something that is equally evident in our lives. There is something out there that is ready to destroy you, to kill you. It's called sin. And what I hope is that we will learn to have a response much like uh, the Japanese did, trying to answer the question, 
You know, how do we keep from being fooled by sin? How, how can we keep from being fooled by temptation and by sin? And then how do we respond when it shows up? In the letter that, first John, uh, that John wrote in 1 John, um, he recounts uh, three categories that he identifies as sin. I have it up here on the screen. He says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and then he lists it. See if you can identify the three things. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You guys know the story of how sin entered into our world? It's in our, it's in our Bible. In fact, it's in the book of Genesis. Our great-great-grandma and grandpa, Adam and Eve, they were deceived. And the agony of that deceit has plagued our race ever since and will continue until Jesus comes to make all things right because even though we have new souls and our spirits are renewed, born again by the Spirit of God, you and I, we still live with bodies that are filled with corruption such that, guess what? Temptation comes, it comes knocking. And how do we respond? Well, Adam and Eve had their own challenge. It was the serpent. It was the devil himself that came to tempt Eve. And do you remember the rule? You can eat what? You can eat any of these. Go nuts. Dig in. Except for one. Except for one tree. You are not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil comes and he deceives Eve. I want you to see what went on in Eve's mind. I have the verse up here. It's Genesis 3 and verse 6. The text says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. I want you to see the relationship. I want you to see the connection. Did you catch it? Between what John identifies as the three categories of sin in our world and what Eve saw in that forbidden fruit. I have it up here. The first one, what did she see? That it was what? She saw it was good for food. What John says, that's where sin begins. It begins with the lust of the flesh. We have bodies that still have appetites. Many of which God is the one who created, but this world perverts them. Such that your appetites will lead you not to glorify the king of kings, but your appetites instead will lead to self-gratification. She saw that it was good for food. What's the second one? She saw that it was what? Pleasing to the eye. John knows this as well. He calls this the lust of the eyes. And that which we see and we want for ourselves, you can think of King David, of how these two come into play To lead him to a place he never would have gone as he's abandoning his job, walking out in the evening on his rooftops, he sees who? Do you remember her name? Bathsheba. And the appetite that God has put in humans for relationship and intimacy, that gets perverted. And it does so through the hideousness, the deceit of the lust of the eyes. Well, same is true for Eve. And finally, the third one, she sees that it's also desirable for gaining wisdom. And John recognizes this as well. That you and I, we would rather have it our way. We would rather be God. We would rather be the ones calling the shots. Don't don't tell me. I'll figure it out on my own. And that's what this fruit and the empty promise 
And the lie of the evil one is presented before her. And she's deceived. Temptation was there. She didn't catch it. She believed it. She was tricked. And that comes now to you and I as as the offspring of Adam and Eve continuing to plague us called the pride of life. There's danger. Church, there's danger. And fire fire up the warning beacons. This could kill you. This could destroy you. When I was serving as a missionary in, in the Bahamas, uh, they had an event that they would put on every, as every year. It's called Junkanoo. Has anyone ever visited there, heard of Junkanoo? It's kind of like a parade. It's a very festive cultural parade. But the, all the settlements, they all gather together, and there's booths, and there's food, and there's very loud music. Um, but they're all having a good time. Well, to get electricity to all of these booths, uh, what they do is they take a piece of Romex wire, that's a two-string cable with the ground, and they just they twist the ends together for the neutral and the hot. That's what they do. They twist them together, and that's all. <laughs> they don't put them in a box. There's no OSHA covering. There's no city code. In fact, this is what it looks like. I took a picture of it. It is completely bare. Now, this one time in particular at this... This one, our son was going to uh, march in the parade, and he had his uh, costume that he was going to wear, and he was going to participate in it, but I saw him walking towards this wire. Now, what do you think I did? Ah, walk it off. (laughs) He'll be fine. One one shock, that'll teach him, right? We won't go back there. No, what did I do as his parent? What did I do as his father who loves him? I, I ran, and I rescued him. That's what I did. I saved him from destruction. That'll kill you. The, the, the number of deaths by ex- elect- electrocution, it's not the giant high line voltage. You know what it is? It's 110 right out of the socket in your house. That's the n- predominant number of electrocution deaths. They happen right from this because people have left this exposed. And I don't know what a little five-year-old when he was little saw in this, but whatever it was was tempting it was kind of shiny, right? Something to hold on to. Whatever it was deceiving him to think that I should grab this was deceit. It was a lie. And so I, as his loving father, I ran and I swooped him up. And we moved somewhere else, far away from there. And that's when I took a picture of it just because I couldn't believe it. Do you get the point? Does everybody get the message? What is God prepared to do for you? He hasn't just left you. He sees it as something that will destroy you. And here's part of the problem. One of the lies of the devil is to say, well, the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. You know, that's just something that you need to cure within your body. You know, you've got a soul and uh, it'll lead you in the right way. And spirituality is good, but your body just needs a little bit reformed. Do you know that's backwards? That's completely backwards. You don't have a soul. You are a soul and you have a body. Your soul is what is on line. The eternal destination of the essence of who you are is what is at stake. Not just, a, eh, nobody, I'm not hurting anybody, right? Nobody knows. Whatever that sin in your life might be. It's not just a matter of the flesh. Everybody with me this morning? It is a matter of grave proportions. Because you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that God loves. And you have a body that is left in this world that's filled with temptation. Three ways in which it's seen. John recounts it this way. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So with that, I'd like to invite you. Turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 4. 
We're going to read through the first 13 verses, and as we do, we're going to make a few observations, and then we'll conclude this morning with a few points of application as we seek to apply God's word onto our lives. Luke chapter 4, page 1595 in the Pew Bibles. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you're the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I'll give you all their authority and splendor. For it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you're the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it's written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, that they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's an amazing story, and it shows up in, in Matthew's gospel as well here in Luke's. Uh, as we look through it, uh, I want to begin, and your Bible may have it titled as the temptation of Jesus. I want to answer the question, first of all, what is temptation? What is temptation? I got a definition here for us uh, because I want, I want it to both be general enough and broad enough but specific for what the danger is. Temptation is the call to disobey God. That's what it is. Temptation is the call. It's the hearken unto your heart. It's that voice of lie and deceit that would cause you to disobey what God says. Now you and I are going to have a hard time with that if we don't know what God says. Thankfully, he gives us his spirit to teach us, to indwell us, to educate us, and help us to know that which is right and that which is wrong. But this is what temptation is. It's a call to disobey God. I want to make sure we don't misconstrue temptation as sin. To be tempted is not sin. Uh, the reason you and I give in to temptation, let's just see real quick. Remember, you're in church. Show of hands, folks who have given in to temptation. Show of hands this morning. All right. The reason why you give in is because you're a sinner. That's why you give in. And that'll kill you. It'll destroy you. God loves you. And so he made a way such that your sin, because of temptation, will not be the end of you. He took him who had no sin, his very son, Jesus Christ. He allowed him to be put in the position of your penalty, which is death. Because that's the rules. Right? The rules of the universe, the way God set it up is thus. If you sin, you die. 
That's the rules, right? Well, did Jesus sin? Come on now, did Jesus sin? No, Jesus did not sin, and yet Jesus died. He died on the cross, and his death, because he is both fully man and fully God, his death is now available for you as, and this is a big word, a propitiation or atoning sacrifice. That means it covers over your sin for you. This answers the question, why did Jesus then have to be tempted? Why is this in the Bible? Does that seem bizarre to anybody? I bet we do fine without it. Why was this part of the story of Jesus' life? The book of, writer of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, he writes this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. Yet, without what? Without sin. The reason why Jesus was tempted was so that he empathizes. He is our advocate. He intercedes on our behalf before the Father right now. That's what he's doing right now. If you were to call him on the phone, he'd say, uh, a little busy right now, interceding on behalf of the saints. That's what he's doing for you right now because Jesus knows exactly what it means to face what you face. And yet he did not do what we all have done, which is give in to temptation. He was tempted in every way, but such that we would have a high priest who is able to sympathize with us. Jesus was tempted. A few things I want us to see in the text. The first temptation was what? Turning stones into bread. Yeah, the devil came and he said, man, you don't look good. <laughs> you, uh, you look like you need to take a bite, eat something, right? You need, to, you need to eat. Any of you ever run into family members like that and just like, man, you need to eat more. Come on, moms, you know it's true, right? You need to eat more. Uh, This is what the devil's doing. Uh, The reason why I want to highlight this is because sometimes we think of the devil as coming like like fungus, like this evil, you know, and and we, and oh, we'll spot him. I'll I'll spot the devil because he looks like the devil. Devil don't look like what you think the devil looks like. He's coming to Jesus offering him what? Yeah, look, you're, you're the son of God, ain't you? You're the son of God. It looks like you need to eat something. And in fact, that'll make you healthy. You ought to be healthy. Go get a bite to eat. You know what? You're the son of God. Take this stone right here. It won't take a second. Just call it into existence. Bam. You'll have bread. Puppernickel, buttermilk, rye, you know, whatever you'd like. The devil doesn't come to you the way that many of us think the devil would come. And he comes to Jesus now. And really, the temptation is this. It's a misuse of Jesus' power. Is Jesus God? Yes or no? He is God indeed. Did he get lost in the desert? Is that what happened? You're, you're going to miss the whole point of these temptations if we think, well, he's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Go back to the Bible. Look what it says in verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes we misunderstand that in our churches too. We think that being full of the Holy Spirit means you dance around or you move or you're feeling good. You know what? That's not necessarily what it means. Look what the Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, look what happened. Returned from Jordan and was led by the, what's it say? He was led by the Spirit into the desert. The Spirit was the one who allowed the trials to come to him. James will say this. He'll say, rejoice, my brethren. Rejoice when you face trials of many kinds. What? Take me to Six Flags and I'll rejoice. Right? Let me go out in the deer stand and I'll rejoice. But when I face trials? Yeah, he says this. Because they, they show the testing of your faith. That though... 
uh, it needs to be refined like gold in the fire in the furnace. And it will be revealed to have the same value as gold and precious gems. That's why trials show up. So Jesus, being fully man, he's led by the Spirit out into the desert. If Jesus were to out in the desert say, yeah, I had enough of this business. I'm time to eat. I'm going to turn these rocks into, into bread. He would be shortcutting the will of God in his life because it was the Spirit who led him there. And some of you today are in a position that you wish I could get out of this desert. I wish I could end whatever it is I'm facing. Don't shortcut God's plan for your life. Now, you're not like Jesus. You can't end it just like that. But that's the temptation we face. That's the temptation that's given to Jesus. There's one other thing I'd like us to recognize here at the beginning. Is that Jesus is in the desert for how long? 40 days. Look at what it says at the end of verse 2. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, and this is the most under, biggest understatement ever. At the end of 40 days, he was hungry. <laughs> I'm, I'm hungry just reading that. Um, Jesus here has been 40 days without food and then he's tempted think about Adam and Eve think about our great grandparents they're in the garden and what does Jesus say or what does God say he says go nuts eat it up it's all yours you got this kind over there and that kind over there and I mean it's paradise and the devil comes and tempts Adam and Eve not in their weakness, not in their uh, hunger. The devil comes and tempts them when they had everything. Jesus is being tempted when he has had nothing. Now, if that was where the scenarios, who do you think would have been successful, Jesus or Adam? I think Adam would have had it a lot better. He would have been, I'm too full anyways. I don't care. That's fine, right? Here, Jesus is starving. He's hungry. Do you see the difference? This is the beauty, this is the awesomeness of our God. That even when the chips are against him, as much as they possibly could be, 40 days, he's starving. Even then, he doesn't sin. What would you do? How long could you go without food? Some of you thinking right now, this sermon's going kind of long. <laughs> right? That's, uh, lunchtime's coming up, right? Because that's us. How long could you go? I, I can't, I, I get, have you heard the term hangry? Has anyone heard that before? If, I, if I'm kind of short, just, you know, give me a little something to eat. I'll be better, right? But all of us here, we face that because we're weak. Remember the song that we sang? Our God is awesome. He helps us in our weakness. Jesus' first temptation was to abuse his power. The second one, take a look at this. Now the devil takes him to a high place in verse 5, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Hey, this is all yours. I, I, got, I got the authority over him. I give it to whoever I want. I'll give it all to you. I'll give it all to you. All you got to do is this. Just, I mean, it's just this little tiny thing. Just, just bend the knee to me. That's it. Just bow down to me. It'll take a, just a second. Not a big deal. And all of this is yours. The authority and the splendor and the glory of the earth. I'll give it all to you. All you need to do is worship me. That's what the devil says. Now, I think it's not too hard for us to miss, even in Jesus' reply in verse 8, he says that you're to worship who? The Lord alone. You worship God alone. But I wonder if that temptation came to us. Hey, Matt, I'll give you 20 bucks if you worship the devil. You going to take it? All right. I'll give you $2 million. That's $2 million, man. Two hundred million. 
make you Mark Zuckerberg. <laughs> do, you, do, you see, do you see how, how far this goes? What about your own life? You know we do this all the time, by the way. You and I exchange the worship of God for things on earth all the time. Every time that we place the authority of something that's asking for our allegiance ahead of God, that's called idolatry. That's giving our allegiance, that's giving our worship to someplace other than God. This is why it's good to come to church. This is why we confess. This is why we need to start our week by confessing and returning to say, I want to worship and serve you only. And I have a hard time with that because my heart is fickle. My heart gets drawn all over the place, all the time. That's the temptation that's offered to Jesus now. It's simply this. Jesus, I know uh, the, the scripture says that the Messiah's got to suffer and die, but why go through all that? Why go through the cross? That sounds like a pain in the neck. Literally. Right? That sounds like that's going to be hard. You know what I'll do for you? I got this limited time offer, right? I'll give you everything that should be yours anyways, right? The authority over the kingdoms of the earth and its glory and splendor. It'll all be yours and you don't have to do this. All you got to do is bend your knee to me. Now imagine you were Jesus. That in your destiny was carrying the sins of the world on your back and being crucified on a cross. And that your purpose was to receive all glory and honor, right? Because what's the word say? Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, Jesus is Lord. It will happen. It will happen. You and I, we live in a world where that doesn't occur yet. The majority of the earth is like, yeah, Jesus, nice guy, but not my Lord, not my King. The day will come when they all say it. But you see the temptation? The devil is saying, you can avoid all of this. You can avoid it all. Just bend the knee to me. I don't know if it's a matter of money. I don't know if it's a matter of concern or threat. But I doubt any one of us would come anywhere near what Jesus is able to do. All right, let's go to the third one. The devil takes him to a high place. If, again, do you see the repetition, repetition of the conditional question? If you're the son of God. He's continually calling into question Jesus' divinity. Look, you, yeah, I, don't, I don't really think you're the guy. Because you're not proving it. If you're the guy, you ought to do these things. And this last one is incredibly devious. It's the worst of all. Because do you see what the devil does? Not only does he tempt him to say, look, you can jump off here because if you're son of God, you're not going to be hurt. God's going to save you. For it is written. What does the devil do? Who gave the devil a Bible? How, how does he know this? The devil now is taking Jesus' answer and he's twisting and he's going to use it over him. The devil is now quoting scripture. I got to tell this to you, church. We must be careful understanding what the Word of God says. Is it possible to read it and twist it and make it say something that it doesn't say? Is that possible? It's happening right here. It's happening right now. The devil takes the Word of God and he abuses it and he twists it and he makes it say something that it doesn't. We need to be careful as well. I've said this in many of our Bible studies. The Bible... And verses, they're like prisoners of war. You guys know what a prisoner of war is, right? If you torture them long enough, you can get them to say, you can say anything. Same with the Bible. You torture a verse in here long enough, you'll make it say whatever you want it to say. You are not the authority over this word. This is the authority over us. And we obey what it says. But the devil comes now in this third temptation. It's simply this. Asking Jesus, do you really trust God? Do you really trust him? Because here you are, hungry, starving to death in the wilderness. You've rejected all the money and glory in the, in the world. Do you really trust God? Because we can, we can put that to the test right now and look at his response. He says, 
Do not put the Lord your God to the test. A few conclusions. I want to kind of wrap this up. Number one is this. The evil one will come to you when you are most vulnerable. The evil one will come to you when you are most vulnerable. You ever have a bad day? Don't talk to me today. Yeah, guess what? You're going to face temptation real quick. promise you that. If the devil can lie to you, if he can deceive you, he's going to focus it to you when you are the weakest. When you are the most vulnerable. That's when you know what we need to do most of all? It's not this. It's not, I can do it. I can handle it. I'm going to stand strong. I got this. That's not what you do. You know what the Christian does? What's the Christian do? You get low. You get down on your knees. You get humble. And you ask the Lord for strength. I, I guarantee you, church, this is going to happen to you, that the devil is going to come to you, is going to tempt you, and every one of us are tempted many similar ways, but God, uh, the devil, has been doing this for so long, the evil one, he knows exactly how to get each and every one of you. He's a pro. He's got a PhD in this thing. So don't think you can battle the devil. You get on your knees. Because he's going to come to you when you're most vulnerable. Next is this. The Spirit of God has not left you when you're facing trials. Because that's what you're going to feel like. When you get down there, and you're already beaten down because I had a bad day, and then you find that sin starts bringing me around as well. Where's God? Where'd he go? Has he left me? That's what you're going to be tempted to say, but he has not left you. How do I know that from the text? Because who was it that led Jesus into the desert? It was the Spirit of God who was with him, who was there all along. And church, I'm here to tell you this morning that when you face trials and temptation, it's not that God has left you somehow that you're an open target because he's not there protecting you anymore. No, 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 not at all. He is right there. He is with you. He's waiting and watching to see how you handle this. Because you have been given the faith and you've been given the Spirit. And his process of allowing trials in your life is to mature you, to grow you. Such that your faith is built. If you never tested, we'll never know where the growth comes. So don't feel that the Spirit has left you. Number three is this. Don't argue with the devil. That's a fool who argues with the devil. Don't argue with the devil. The Word of God must be our only reply. Don't try to go toe-to-toe with the evil one. He's been doing this far longer than you. You're a fool if you think you can do that. Instead, you reply the same way Jesus replies. What did he say? Three temptations, three times. What does he say? It is written. He's not arguing with the devil. He's standing on God's word alone. And lastly is this. The battle never ends. This side of eternity. The battle never ends. I'm sorry to be the one to tell you that, but it's true. The battle never ends. Did you see how it ended in verse 13? When the devil had finished all this tempting, he went home to watch the Viking game. Is that what it said? says he left him when? Until the opportune time. So guess what, folks? There is a battle that's going on, and it will never end. That's kind of a hard pill to swallow, but guess what? You ain't alone in it. God has given you armor. He's given you a weapon. It's right here. He's given you a weapon to handle in this battle. So the question becomes this. How are you going into battle today? Can you imagine a guy fighting today over in Afghanistan, over somewhere in Iraq? Hey, 4th Infantry's going out. Let's go. Gear up. He's walking out there, not wearing the armor, doesn't have a weapon. What's going to happen to this fool? He's done, right? 
He's done. How foolish would it be then for a Christian to leave these doors or walk out into the world without being prepared for the battle? Do you hear what the pastor's trying to say this morning? You need to be prepared for battle. It never ends. It never ends. So church, sharpen your sword. Sharpen it. Have it quick in your heart. Keep it. Be ready at all times. Because temptation is going to come. So here's what I want to do for application. The first question is this. What should we feast on? Because remember that was the temptation given to Jesus. Turn the rocks into bread. What is it should we feast on? Jesus says men does, men does not live on bread alone. That means the word of God is your sword and the word of God is your sustenance. Jesus quotes a passage out of Deuteronomy. Because he's been reading Deuteronomy. In fact, all of these passages, when Jesus says it is written, they all come from three chapters within Deuteronomy. Six, seven, and eight. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So that's what we need to live on. The word of God and what you and I need to feast on is the word of God. It is our sword. It is our sustenance. Question number two, what should we worship? And I wanted to rephrase that this way. Where should we give our hearts? Put God first. You'll solve everything if you put God first. In your marriage, in your finances in your, in your uh, entertainment, in your family, in your free time. Put God first in all things. And you'll be showing that, that you worship him. And your heart will be united with him. And lastly, where should we place our trust? Which is kind of the third temptation, right? Jump off. Jump off the building. The angels will catch you. Where should we put our trust? Even in hard times? That's what my dad used to say. I love this. Hold on to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. My son and I were swimming out in the, in the Caribbean. He thought he saw a crab. And he was little and he thought the crab was going to eat him. So what did he do? He held on to me. He held on to me so tight. Church, this is what I want to tell you today. If you're facing anything, and you will, and some of you are, Place your trust in God Almighty. Hold on to Jesus. Keep him close. The promise that Paul gives us from the word of God in 1 Corinthians 10 says this. No temptation has overtaken you. Except what is common to mankind. Pastor, you don't know how bad I got it. You don't know my temptation. Quiet down. No temptation is overtaking you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he also will provide a way out so that you can endure it. Do you see where it comes from? He will provide a way out. Hold on to Jesus.